Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, happy International Teachers Day. (laughs) And it's the algorithm, stupid. Frances Haugen has been testifying before Congress, and it's a pretty shocking picture she's painting of Facebook. We'll get into that in just a moment. I've got a rant about that that we published today at Hartman Report titled, It's the Algorithm Stupid, about how what started out as a pleasant view of Aunt Sally's summer vacation ends up with a bloody police officer on the floor of the U.S. Capitol and democracy in flames. Also, I want to get into the question, is it okay to follow, in this case, Kirsten Cinema, but really any politician into the bathroom to ask them questions because they're refusing to hold town halls, they're refusing to meet with constituents, they're refusing to take, you know, where, where are the lines here? And your thoughts on that. But I want to start out with the algorithm. And basically, my story of the story that Francis Haugen has been telling uh, to Congress. And let me start with the difference between cocaine and crack cocaine. You can actually online buy coca leaf to make tea out of, right? There's a little tiny bit of cocaine in it. They've, you know, in, in, in South America, in the, in the Andes, in the mountains of South America, uh, they've been chewing coca leaf and making coca tea for millennia, for thousands of years. Uh, basically the same way that people in India and South, uh, Southwest Asia have been using, well, actually across South, Southern Asia, have been using tea as a source of caffeine. It just a, you know, it's just a very mild stimulant. However, if you extract that cocaine from the coca leaf, concentrate it, and then treat it with baking soda, alkalize it, change its pH, it becomes something known as free base, base is, means alkaline, it becomes, it becomes free base crack coat cocaine. We see the same thing, by the way, uh, because it, it sticks, by changing its pH, what you've done is you've converted the cocaine into a compound that sticks very quickly to blood cells and therefore gets to the brain really fast and hits the nervous system, wham, like that. And the, and the more rapid you can produce a high, the more addictive the substance will become over time. It's the same thing with tobacco in the United States. American tobacco companies for years have added ammonia to tobacco. Why? Because it alters the pH of the nicotine, which makes the nicotine hit the bloodstream faster. So cigarettes in the United States are like crack cigarettes in many other countries. Although other, you know, around the world, many tobacco companies do the same thing. It's the same reason why they put sugar in children's cereals, right? Is the that, that sudden rush. So it, it, and, and there's a reason why we respond this way. I mean, any kind of, anytime we're, sh- we're confronted by shocking or novel stimuli, it causes uh, an, a very rapid release in our brain of certain chemical neurotransmitters, particularly dopamine, but also adrenaline. That comes out of you know, our adrenal glands over our kidneys. They give us a very weak high by increasing our alertness and stimulating the reward centers of our brain. And evolution built this into us for a reason. 
there's a reason why if we see a tiger when we're out, you know, 10,000 years ago, out walking around in the forest, and you see a tiger and realize that it lives in that particular part of the forest, that makes a much bigger impression on your brain than noticing where, where a squirrel lives. Because that tiger, if you don't know where that tiger lives, you might blunder into there and he will eat you. I mean, this is literally evolution wired us to have strong emotional and thereby intellectual cognitive connections to things that produce a strong emotional response, including fear, but also anger, rage, outrage. I mean, just the whole spectrum of emotions. So how does this apply to social media? Okay, Uncle Ralph announced Aunt Sally go to the beach and have their vacation. They take some pictures of their vacation. They post those pictures on a social media site. Let's say that uh, you know, you've got the, the ocean, you've got the beach, you've got Uncle Ralph, uh, you've got Aunt Sally. Aunt Sally's wearing an old uh, you know, 20, uh, 2000 Bush Cheney t-shirt. So now the computer algorithm, the, the, the brain in the machine, looks at this picture or reads this story and says to itself, what do I want to emphasize about this and push out to other people? Is it do I push out other pictures of Uncle Ralph for people who saw this and thought it was interesting? Oh, you want more of Ralph? Here he is. Here's, here's when he was with an army buddy 10 years ago. Or do you want more pictures of Aunt Sally? Or do you want pictures of people on a beach or taking vacations? Do you want to push those out? Or do you want to take Aunt Sally's t-shirt and say, oh, Bush Cheney, uh, let's link to a page about how Bush and Cheney were president and vice president when those Muslims hit us on 9-11. And then that will link to a page about how those Muslims are actually, you know, evil people who want to destroy America and they're coming for your town. And then that will link to a page that says, and not only that, the Democrats like them. And then that'll link to a page that says, and those Democrats are drinking the blood of children. And pretty soon, you know, when you wake up from this social media induced high, you wake up on the floor of the U.S. Capitol with a bloody flagpole in your hand and a cop, you know, unconscious on the floor in front of you. I mean, that's literally what has happened here. It's the algorithm, stupid. The algorithm is the mathematical formula, the, 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 the piece of computer code that has been tweaked and tweaked and tweaked and tweaked and tweaked to try to do what's called drive engagement. By, making, by taking the most inflammatory pieces of content and pushing them as far as possible to many, as many people as possible. Whether it's politically inflammatory, whether it's socially inflammatory, whether it's, it's you know, the stuff that is like, whoa, you know, uh, teenagers looking at, at uh, body image uh, issues and posts and rants and, you know, the, the promotion of anorexia or whether it's the promotion of of, of uh, left or right, I, I don't know where left politics gets real violent these days. I mean, the SDS, uh, the weather underground has been gone for a long, long time. Um, uh, but, you know, whatever. Pushing the extremes. Now, it doesn't have to be this way, right? It, it, the algorithms don't have to make these kinds of decisions, just like People who harvest coca leaf don't need to process it with baking soda to make crack cocaine, and tobacco companies don't need to add ammonia to cigarettes to make them 10 or 20 times more addictive, and the, and, and the big cereal companies don't need to add sugar to cereal. But they all do it because it increases their profits. It gets people addicted, and that's what these algorithms are doing for these social media companies. And it's not, this is not rocket science. It's not that hard to rewrite the algorithm to say, if it's Uncle Ralph and Aunt Sally's vacation, how about some more pictures of Uncle Ralph and Aunt Sally? Or some more stories about them or people related to them? Or, or how about some more stories about nice vacations? Rather than finding the one piece that might be tweaked to be inflammatory. The problem is that that kind of a social media algorithm, while it would build a nice place to go keep track of family and friends, and would make money, it's a profitable business model, would not turn its founders in, into some of the most wealthy people on the planet. It would merely turn them into multimillionaires or, or billionaires. 
And it looks to me like that's what's going on right here. The algorithm is the key to the profitability and it's the key to the societal damage that social media is doing. In this case, you know, specifically talking about Facebook, but more generally, I mean, this, this is, it's funny, Facebook has been run, running ads recently saying, please regulate us. I'm saying, yeah, good plan. Let's start out by mandating transparency in algorithms and begin at that point because that's where, that, that is the unique difference between like just a website that posts stuff, you know, a, a blog, a message board, and a system that, that drives rage, basically. What say you? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Do you know people who have been radicalized by social media? Have you had this, you know, brushes with this? Do you have suggestions on how it could be fixed? In my uh, op-ed today, I, I draw a parallel between the founders of some of these social media sites and the Sackler family. The Sackler family, they had this company, Purdue Pharma, and they could have sold just, you know, normal run-of-the-mill painkillers or even developed some new painkillers that were not wildly addictive. But, and, and they had, an, uh, apparently, if I've, you know, from the news stories I've read, I'm, I'm not an expert on this, but, you know, it's been all over the newspapers. They had available to them a, a wide variety of drugs that they could be promoting or not, or choosing not to promote. But they chose to promote the hell out of OxyContin. Why? Well, because it was insanely profitable and people got addicted to it and they bought more and more and more of it and they took larger and larger doses of it, which is exactly what's happening with social media. And I'm not saying do away with social media or anything like that. What I'm saying is that it could be tamed. It could be made um, less destructive to us and our society. In fact, I think that you could build a case that in the context of social media, that it's even a utility it is part of, social media has become part of the infrastructure of our lives. And, I mean, if, if somebody wanted to create a social media product that was, you know, where people knew that they were going to encounter outrageous content, well, arguably that already exists with, you know, the alt-right message boards or 4chan and 8chan and things like that. And if somebody wanted to create a site where you just knew that it was just going to be friends and family, you could do that. It wouldn't, however, turn you into the richest person on earth or one of them. And I think that that, you know, this, there's this, just this very real clear distinction. Oh, and now the social media companies are looking at kids. I mean, this is like, this has become like the, the, the Joe Camel of online media. And I think it's just, it's just a, 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 you know, a very, very dangerous thing. Uh, Linda in Matlock, Washington. Hey, Linda, what's up? Hello, Tom. I want to suggest a book that also ties in very nicely with your rant on the social media and the fact that they have decided and really, really manufactured a real dopamine crisis here. The title of the book is Dopamine Nation by Dr. Anna Lemke. She's a psychiatrist. But continue. Yes. She's a psychiatrist at the Dual Diagnosis Clinic from Stanford University and works with people with psychiatric issues and addiction. And she does a wonderful expose not only on substances, but she also goes into the fact that we are a nation of 24-7, addicted to the Internet, addicted to food, sex, work. And it is written very well. And if very I recall, stupid. she also talks about media, how, how, how television drives this as well. Yes, yes. I heard her and had to get the book because it really took a lot of took a lot of stuff that people aren't unaware of. In fact, she said you don't need to do a study of the effects. She said just go outside and look around, see people. Yeah. 
They're stuck to their phone. There you go. Yeah. They're glued to their phone. The algorithm should not be intellectual property. It's I a agree. Problem. I agree. I, I, I think that's the key to the whole thing. It's the algorithm, stupid. Yeah. yeah. Linda, thank you. Thank you for the call. Dopamine Nation is that book. You know, it's like increasingly we're all addicted to dopamine. Dopamine is one of the reward chemicals that gives us a little bit of a buzz. We get increased levels of dopamine from uh, drinking alcohol. We get it from drinking coffee. We get it from cocaine. Um, we get it from opiates, although there's a whole bunch of other chemicals that are probably more impacting us even more. We get it from watching TV, particularly programs that engage or enrage us. Uh, you watch a Bruce Willis movie, right? You are filled with dopamine as you're walking out of the theater. And I just had a caller who was talking about this book, Dopamine Nation, and spot on. And in fact, the whistleblower this morning on TV, uh, Frances Haugen, she referenced that, you know, that, that we're constantly pushing that dopamine button, that that's what social media is trying to do. So, you know, there's that. And, and like I said, if, if you have... See, you know, we've had, I've had so many people call into this program and talk about how their, particularly their parents or friends of theirs got radicalized by Fox News. Do you know anybody who's been radicalized by Facebook or by any other social media? Do you see or not see this as a problem in other social media? For example, on LinkedIn, I don't see this kind of thing happening. On Next Door Neighbor, I think it's neighbor.com or neighborhood.com, I forget what it is, but it's, it's the Next Door Neighbor app that, you know, I, pretty much every neighborhood in America is now a lot of people are wired into. Instead of pushing out the outrageous content, it's just like, you know, it's kind of a chronological scroll. Oh, here's what got posted. The founders of those companies are probably not going to be the world's richest billionaire. Facebook is approaching being worth a trillion dollars. And meanwhile, in Ethiopia right now, the country's on the verge of civil war because of Facebook, We can, or at least it's alleged, uh, and this came out in the hearings this morning, and in uh, Myanmar, you know, the former Burma, the, the junta actually used Facebook to encourage locals to slaughter Rohingya uh, people, the, this, this ethnic minority, the, this Muslim ethnic minority, encouraged the slaughter of the Rohingya, and it happened. It worked. There was a genocide that happened that was almost entirely driven on and by Facebook. And it was you know, put together intentionally by, by these generals who had figured this thing out, how to manipulate Facebook. This is dangerous stuff, and, it's, and, it, and it has the potential. And frankly, I, you know, now we're hearing that you know, January 6th was planned on Facebook. Okay, that's number one. Number two, uh, Kirsten Cinema. So <laughs> this, uh, this group, uh, Living United for Change in Arizona, Lucha, L-U-C-H-A. Uh, a couple of their members followed Kirsten Cinema into a into a ladies' room, into the, re the restroom in Arizona. Cinema had been teaching a class at, at the university there. It was a sealed building, and somehow they got into the building and they got into the into the uh, ladies' room and confronted her. Said, "You know, will you allow? Will you end? Will you? Uh, I forget the phrase. Will you?" Uh, it was either a will you commit to reconciliation or will you commit to ending the filibuster so that the dreamers can get citizenship, basically. And, and you know, one of these people is like at risk of being deported. And that risk might have radically increased after they confronted Senator Sinema. So the uh, and then the same thing happened on the airplane yesterday as cinema was flying back to dc somebody came up to her a dreamer a woman who identified herself as karina and said senator how are you i'm karina i'm just wondering if you could commit as my senator if you could commit it to passing reconciliation that would provide a pathway for citizens to citizenship to immigrants and and cinema was you know basically kind of blew her off but you know and chuck schumer was asked about this and his response basically was, uh, first of all, Cinema said it's unacceptable for activists to ins uh, organizations to instruct their members to jeopardize themselves by engaging in unlawful activities, such as gaining entry to closed university buildings, disrupting learning environments, and filling students in a restroom. Okay, point made. Um, 
I'm sorry, it wasn't Schumer, it was Biden was asked about this yesterday afternoon. And he said, oh, you know, this stuff happens. How, what, is it, is it appropriate to follow a senator or member of Congress into the bathroom when they refuse to hold town hall meetings, refuse to meet with their constituents, refuse to uh, meet with their constituents in their offices, unless those constituents have large piles of cash, when basically the only constituents they will meet with are the, are the ones who are doing the fundraisers, which appears to be the case. And maybe I'm wrong about this if you're from Arizona and I am wrong about it and you have been to a Kirsten Cinema Town Hall in the last year, call in and let me know. But you know, what alternative do people have? Where do we go from here? And how best do you think social media could be used. I, I would love to see Facebook turn back into Facebook, right? Although I get it that it was originally designed for college dorm guys to rape girls. I, I get it. That, that, that's where it came from. And that's still largely what it's being used for. But I would love to see it turn into a friends and family kind of place. I realize it wouldn't be as profitable, but it might be a good thing. So what has your experience of that been? And how has it uh, changed or improved or hurt your life. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana. Where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. John Harbin here with you. Just to add, just to put a punctuation mark on this, and then I'll pick up your phone calls here. And this is uh, in a study entitled Carol's Journey to QAnon, a test user study and misinformation and polarization risks, or of misinformation and polarization risks, encountered through recommendation systems. That's the title of the study. This was done internally by Facebook at Facebook. And what they did is they set up a couple of brand new dummy accounts and they had them follow, quote, high quality or verified conservative interest pages, pages like Fox News or Donald Trump or Melania Trump. The study found that, and this is a quote from the study, within just one day, page, page recommendations had already devolved toward polarizing content. Within two days, recommendations began to include conspiracy content. The report found, quote, it took less than one week to get a QAnon recommendation. This is one of the realities that were laid out by Facebook product manager Francis Haugen. Uh, with the Securities and Exchange Commission and a complaint that she filed with the SEC this week that the, the CBS was uh, talking about yesterday. So, fascinating stuff. Renee in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Renee, what's on your mind today? 
Okay, hi, Tom. Great show as always. Always a good topic. Thank you. Okay, so on the question in reference, should you approach your Congress people or, you know, when you see them out in public, the answer for me is yes. I have found that to be successful because when I, and I'm very polite, I go up and I make my point. Okay, and I'm, they should have an answer to your question. Yeah, I'm completely with you on that. But what do you do when they never make themselves publicly available? I mean, this in this case, uh, this group chased Kirsten Cinema into a bathroom, and you know, traditionally, that's kind of a place where there's at least a sense of privacy. She should have been able to answer their questions. That would not have happened. She put herself in that position. I'm I'm inclined because, to agree with you, uh, Renee. I I think okay, that right, right. She put herself in that position. Now, unfortunately. She decided to run up into the bathroom instead of just answering the question. No, I think she was actually using the bathroom. <laughs> okay, whatever. I'm not sure, but you know they, they said all, they were okay, talking to her while she was in the stall. She, Maybe she's trying to hide from okay, them. Okay, uh, exactly. And she's been known to do that. Yeah. So okay, so, yeah. so, that, so that's not a good. Now, second thing on the algorithm. Mm-hmm. My very, my very first class in computer programming, now this is the old languages, Fortran, BASIC, COBOL. Mm -hmm. Okay, the old languages. First day the professor says, I want you all to understand why the worldwide Internet is being introduced to the American public. This is going to allow the government to be able to monitor the citizen and the citizens are going to be thinking that they're doing it of their own free will because they're giving this information up willingly. Yeah, it turns out it wasn't the government. It was, it was a billionaire named Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, okay, so he <laughs> figured out a way to make money off of that program. Right. Okay, and yeah, that's the way the algorithm works. So now that you know that, be careful of the information that you leave. Yeah. Also, the government already started tracking you when you were born. Because that was your social security number. Get over it, people. Yeah. Don't do stupid stuff that attracts attention. Well, I, I can't disagree with that uh, broadly, but I think that um, you know if it's necessary to do stuff that attracts attention for a good cause, that's that's not a bad thing. But uh, with regard to the algorithm, I mean, th this is the problem: is that um, you know if if you post on one kind of social media site, um, like this next door neighbor site, you know. Um, that, that so many people are members of around the country, you basically are just seeing things that get posted in the order in which they get posted. Uh, if you post on other right. social media sites, particularly Facebook, you can find yourself very rapidly being pushed into entirely new directions and having groups recommended to you, and pretty soon you're so in wild you're conspiracy land. More, so now you're able to make a more educated uh, decision about what sites you don't want to be on. Yeah. Yeah. Stay off of Facebook. Yeah, I'm with you. Renee, thank you. Hey, stay, 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 thank yeah. you. Thanks a lot for the call. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? Uh, check this out now. I don't know if you watch sports, uh, Professor, because you read a lot. A lot of people, when they read, they don't watch sports. But I watch sports, and I read, too. And I know this. When you have a sporting event, after that game, after that game, you have to go before the press. Now, maybe you Barry Bonds or maybe you are whoever you might be. It might not be a good conversation, okay? But you got to go before the press. And the commissioner going to make darn sure, I didn't curse, that you go before the press and make them comments, and they get to come at you. Now, if you want to play this game, well, I call the avoidance game, not answer to what your activities are, what you're doing, no problem. Then we got a license to follow you into the toilet, into the bedroom, into the kitchen, where you dine, where you socialize. Now, normally those places would be off limit. There'd be a place for you to handle your business, right, to go ask them kind of questions. But again, they want to play the avoidance game. So, yeah, I think you should be able to go anywhere them people are if they refuse to answer your question. Yeah. And thank you for this time. You're welcome, Morris. Thank you. Very, very, very well done. Very well said. Denise in Calumet, Michigan. Hey, Denise, what's up? Hi. You know, I, I, was, watch, I was flicking through channels at 3 o'clock this morning because I couldn't sleep. Found this, uh, there was a, a DVD on, this, on the screen, and it said, COVID-19, When Science Lies. And it was just really ridiculous. Really? It was, um, I figured out it was an evangelistic channel, and that was the gift they got if they supported that, you know, if they sent in money for pledges. And it was how to wow. get lawyers if you get COVID. It was the whole, everything about COVID is a lie. You don't have to mask. You don't have to distance. I couldn't believe it. I, I watched it long enough to figure out what it was, and I got off that station.
Wow. But it was, was this a, on, on you, local air or was this over a cable system or something? It was on direct TV on um, a channel called Daystar. Huh. And I have, I have, I didn't, you know, I didn't, you know, they were, they were just like preaching, you know, what the evangelistic yeah. people believe, yeah. you know. So instead was, of having I, a social media algorithm pushing vaccine misinformation to you, you now have uh, a television network that is doing it with just generic advertising. They're just allowing an advertiser to push it. Probably, probably thinking that that advertiser is just some church that's going to be hustling people for money. Right, and giving giving away a, a, a DVD about that's just nothing but a big lie. Mm. Fascinating. And the thing on, on the thing on Kristen Cinema, mm -hmm. I believe that if if these if, if people like her and Joe Manchin were really doing the interests of their constituents, they would want to see their people, talk to their people. But a lot of these people learned from the Republicans not to call, not to have you know. That's who started not having the. Um, you know, town, town hall meetings and, and stuff, and they're following suit, and so they deserve to be talked to. People are tired of not hearing from them and not being heard. Yeah. And so they're getting desperate to find a way to talk to their to talk to their people who promised them when they were running for elections that they would do for them whatever it is they want wanted done. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, they're I'm tired good. of the false promises. Yeah, I'm completely with you. Thank you. Thank you, De okay. uh, Denise. Uh, great points all. Uh, Diana in Ventura, California. Hey, Diana, what's up? Hey, Tom. Um, I was just hearing your comment, um, and I'm going to paraphrase you uh, terribly here, but something about the effect of Facebook was created for college dorm guys to take advantage of dorm women. To or, specifically or rate them based on their appearance or how easy they were to get into bed. I mean, if, if you, I, I'm basing this on having watched the movie about Mark Zuckerberg and the, and the creation of Facebook. I think it's called The Social Media. The, social, ne the social Network. Social Network, yeah. yeah. I mean, I may be wrong, but I think the movie's based in reality. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so <laughs> I just feel like the discourse in general is super inflammatory, and I felt like that comment in general is, is inflammatory and but if it's true general, uh, are, you, are you are you saying that you don't think that Facebook was created uh, you know at, at Harvard as a way of rating girls you disagree with that I don't think that that is a, as a possibly no yeah no I, I wouldn't agree with that Okay. I don't know what I think. I think that's just a super inflammatory, generalized, overgeneralized statement. Well, I think it's a sensationalistic I think it's statement. I think it's true. Okay. I mean, you know, these guys were sitting around in their dorm rooms and you know, trying to figure out, you know, uh, trying to create a, 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 like I said, a rating system for the girls that they wanted to date or that you know that they were interacting with, and mm -hmm. and then that. Became, you know, and that that became Facebook. I mean, it's it's like you know, read the book, watch the movie. It's it's. Yeah, it, I, it's been it's been a very long time since I've seen the movie. And and, and now and now we've got and now what's happened is you know it's becoming you know like kids are going on there and saying you know whatever you know here's my performance uh, you know uh, with a hula hoop or here's my thing you know or here's my walking on the beach or whatever and then you know how many likes do I get how much you know how am I rated. And if they're not rated well by their peers, if people make snarky remarks or they get thumbs downs or whatever, um, you know, they, they, they get anorexic and suicidal. And if they get lots of thumbs ups, they get addicted to it. They get the dopamine rush of, off, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm famous, I'm liked. And it's really, you know, I don't think it's, it's strayed that far from how it really was started. I'm not contesting the fact that Facebook and all these other things are incredibly divisive and dangerous and sick, you know, and, and all of that. I'm not contesting that, you know, at all, because I've seen it, you know, evolve, devolve, whatever you want to call it. But um, I think it's important to try and stay as um, unsensationalistic um, as possible when we're having these kind of conversations. Yeah, well, I'm not. I'm not calling uh, Mark Zuckerberg a predator or anything like that. What I'm saying is that um, that that was the origin of Facebook, to the best of my knowledge, and and it still seems like that 
that uh, origin point DNA is still very much part of the DNA of Facebook itself. The, the whole like system, the whole, you know, yes, I approve of that, of that person, of what that person said, how that person looks, things like that. And I'm just not sure that's a healthy thing. That, that style of making that kind of comment with the music and then going out with that, mm-hmm. that's just very sensationalistic. And, and that kind of style of, of radio. Okay. Well, if, if you don't like it, I would encourage you not to call back again. Marvin here with you. I, I want to apologize to the woman who uh, we ran up to the break. I mean, the, I, in many cases, I can't stop the breaks, but to whom I said, well, if you don't like what I said, just don't call back. I mean, that was, that, that was snarky, and I apologize for that. Everybody's welcome to call, and you're welcome to disagree with me. Carrie in New Windsor, New York. Hey, Carrie, what's on your mind? Hi. All right. I'm looking at, you know, it's, uh, it's good to back up your information here. So this news came out I think in 2010, but just a reminder because, you know, everybody was off Facebook for six hours, so they might be experiencing some withdrawal symptoms still, so taking advantage of that with the timeliness. He was, according to Gawker.com, who then sources a New Yorker piece, right, a piece from the New Yorker in 2010, says that... Facebook CEO admits to calling users, open quote, dumb, F-U, blank, blank, blanks. And it says Mark Zuckerberg admits in a New Yorker profile that he mocked early Facebook users for trusting him with their personal information. A youthful indiscretion, the Facebook founder says, he's much more mature now at the ripe age of 26. Open quote, they trust me, dash, dumb, F-U, blank, blank, blanks. Right. Zuckerberg in one of the instant messages. So this was, I think, leaked from. It was in a meeting, and he said that in a meeting. So yeah, you yeah. Know well, that this, was. I mean, right? there was the, the the movie the, the, that I saw, and 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 we've also had conversations with people over the years on this program about, you know, that kind of indicates that there's there, there's actually some some wisdom to that 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 you know i i was it's kind of weird and ironic that that he would be bragging that people are dumb enough to trust him but you know we were all dumb enough to trust him i mean it's true well there's a book that came out about how people's data is more valuable than oil now yeah and it's called i have nothing to hide and 20 other myths about surveillance and privacy and it's about it's by a woman named Heidi Bogosian who co-hosts another show called Law and Disorder. So yeah. if people want to check that out and, you know, put duct tape put duct tape on your uh, selfie cameras, everybody. I just finished writing a book, uh, The Hidden History of Big Brother, Surveillance in America, Corporate and Government Surveillance oh. in America. And that book will be out right. in six months. And in fact, yeah. the, the galleys just went off. And I, I did a deep dive into the, into the origin of many of these social media companies, and not just social media, of course. Um, and it's it's pretty amazing. It's, it's you know what access yeah. with the information about us that they have access to, and and you go back to what Cambridge Analytica did in 2016. I retweeted a little format yeah. clip earlier this morning about you know with uh, with a woman who worked with Cambridge Analytica on the Trump campaign with people from Facebook to drive Donald Trump into the White House, and and she comes right out and says without Facebook Donald Trump could never have won. Have you heard of this phrase that I just learned today? Surveillance capitalism. Yes, yes. Susanna wow. Zuboff, I think, is the creator. Agree, she wrote a book by that title. And, uh, you know, her point <laughs> is that we're, they're not just surveilling us. They are get, they're building profiles of us and then using that to predict our behavior as well as to drive our behavior. And, you know, I mean, we've been using, yeah, we've been using advertising for years to drive behavior, to get people to buy things. But using using this data now to predict behavior is a whole brand new kind of brave new world. Carrie, thank you for the call. Thanks for the for the thank documentation, you. for the backup. There. Michelle and Van Nuys. Hey, Michelle, what's up? 
Hi, you were just, when you were talking about people that you've lost to Facebook, I, I have a friend, had a friend, that I've known since I was five years old, and I'm in my 50s now, so a 50-year friendship, and he had moved up to a rural area of Washington a couple of years, some years back, and then I found out that he was, he used to not really be on Facebook, I found out he was on Facebook, plus a two-hour drive to go to his work, he, uh, nuclear um, facility. And all of a sudden, over the last couple of years, he was spouting off all these, like, he was always, you know, conservative, or, you know, what you would say, a little bit more right-leaning, but just the things he would say that just echoes of, of different things. And, and literally, I haven't spoken to him in almost a year because he he started, um, I said something that he disagreed with, and he started, the last two times I spoke with him, and he uh, uh, started yelling and screaming at me and hung up on me. And, and everything, both wow. two, two different times. And this That's is something that one. we wouldn't speak every week, but we'd speak every couple of months. But the phone calls were a couple hour phone calls, so we'd discuss a lot of things. Right. And you think and so Facebook radicalized this guy, Michelle? The Facebook and the right wing media, you, uh, you know, the, Fox the, the, like, the, the drive, the two hour drive every day. So, yeah. yes. Oh yeah. Yes, yeah, I, that'll do it. Yeah, but, but especially because he never had been on Facebook before. And the anger reaction from him yeah you know yeah that was I get something it. that I'd I never it. Michelle thank you, you thank, thank you for sharing your story with us it, it, it's got to be a tough one it's got to be a really tough one thank you Ann in Chicago hey Ann what's up hi Tom um, I was just listening in when this woman called uncertain about the uh, Facebook uh, and Zuckerberg's initiation of why he started that and I have a daughter who's 34 years old and was went to a Big Ten, and that is exactly when it started and why it started. That was is 100 uh, percent. I would say it was one of the original dating apps, you know, that we have today. So um, that was the initial intention for for sure. for, <laughs> for guys in one particular. Actually, I think it was originally in one particular like uh, dorm house or frat house or whatever to be rating girls. Not be not be rating one word to to, to yeah. rate girls R A T E rate girls in their in their social sphere. Yeah, I don't know if it was uh, a particular Greek or a dorm. I just think it was a group of guys, and yeah. he was, you know, he initiated. He's quite, you know, he's very intelligent, of course, mm -hmm. and and uh, so yeah, that was its original intention, and I I couldn't I can't believe that people don't recognize that that is why he started it i yeah. mean yeah. you know that is although it so had I the potential i'm i'm sorry i interrupted you no 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 it's fine I, it had the potential to turn into a friends and family kind of place, and and the problem I think, and and the, and the reason why you know Facebook has gotten so large, and and other ones like MySpace, and there were a couple of other early ones that were kind of imitators have had died out, got got you know just trampled in the competition, is because they were not using an algorithm that was tweaking toward outrage, and Facebook was, is oh, wow. the way it looks to me, and from the the research that I was doing when I was writing the book on the hidden history of. Big Brother, it you know I can't, I'm not the expert on that. But what I'm what I'm reading from the experts is that the social media sites that merely, you know, you'd post something, somebody would respond to it. You know, like you see on some of the online sites, you know, uh, Daily Coast, Democratic Underground, these you know basic sites like that, where you know it's not it's not algorithm driven, it's actually user driven. Yeah, that, yeah. that they could not compete with the stickiness that was created by the algorithm by the computer driving. You know, just a, a, almost an, in, uh, an insanity, a, a kind of a foaming at the mouth on the on the downside, or you know, really embracing, really you know, following celebrities or or you know, uh, things like that. I mean, there's this whole kind of yeah, spectrum yeah. Of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it had, had a purpose at one time. I just think it got lost. Yeah, and but I, I think it's real. You know, it's a brilliant thing. It just got really. It's and, got lost. Yeah, and I would love for it to be what it could be. I mean, I, I keep in touch with my with my cousins all over the world. I mean, one's down in Mexico, you know, others in Michigan, my the rest of my extended family, my brothers and their families on Facebook. I mean, you know, and I, I'm quite happy with that. I, it, but it's like, you know, please don't feed me crazy stuff about QAnon. And thank you for the call. And welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. By the way, we just looked up Facebook on Britannica, right? You want to get a 
a relatively unbiased, not even American perspective. You know, Britannica is the encyclopedia based in the UK, Britannica Online. Quote, Facebook began at Harvard University in 2003 as FaceMash, an online service for students to judge the attractiveness of their fellow students, period, full stop. So for what it's worth, anyway, Delane in Houston, Texas. Hey, Delane, what's on your mind today? How you doing there, sir? I definitely want to talk about how the way I think we need to have a PSA program across the country to actually explain what propaganda is. Because a lot of these here people don't realize their political identity has been weaponized, and actually they don't know how the way that actually hurting the country when you actually uh, use propaganda to turn a person within themselves on themselves, and that's what's happening. First, my point of view. What do you think about having an actual national program to actually get people reeducated what propaganda is? I think it's brilliant, Delane, and uh, Finland has has started this. Um, pretty sure it was Finland. It might be Denmark, but I'm pretty sure it was Finland. Um, we did a story about it maybe two, three months ago here on the program when they rolled it out, that they have rolled out a program starting in, as I recall, like second grade, you know, with seven-year-olds, about how to, under, how, to, how to consume media, basically. Whether you see something on the news, if you see something on TV, if you hear a comment on social media, you hear even somebody you know, saying something, asserting that something is true. How to determine what's real and what's not, how to, how to be a discriminating user of, of media and, and understanding what's, what the difference is between propaganda and news, what the difference is between opinion and news and, and facts. Um, you know, and, and, and literally teaching seven-year-olds that and, and continuing that on a year-by-year -year basis as part of their civics instruction all the way up through high school. We've, we have nothing like that here in the United States. And, and, and frankly, I think if, if anybody tried to start something like that, you'd probably have, uh, you know, these same politicians that our, our guest just a minute ago was talking about who don't want people to wear masks or get vaccinated would probably be trying to trash talk it. But what do you think? Oh, I definitely believe in that there because I always heard this here. You might heard it as well that they say, do not ever trust anybody that uh, say that you don't need something that they have. Mm -hmm. And I always hear that. And that's one of the things about it. It's like it is education, but if uh, you ever study uh, marketing, marketing uh, tools and also propaganda has a lot of the similarities. Oh, yeah. They don't realize they're being persuaded. And that was kind of like drives me crazy because I study basic marketing. And I don't know why people don't see exactly what I see, but I try not to fall into that mindset either. That a lot of people, they just fall into patterns and backgrounds. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Delaney. This is one of the reasons why social media is so powerful. Um, I used to own, in fact, I, I own two different ad, ad agencies, um, I, and I used to teach advertising <laughs> through the American, American Marketing Centers uh, all over the country. And the most powerful form of and the most persuasive form, therefore the most powerful form of advertising is called word of mouth. If you can get somebody that you trust uh, or that a person trusts to, to pitch a product to them, they're far more likely to buy it. And this is why celebrity endorsements are a thing because people feel like they know that celebrity, they, they believe that that celebrity has something to say. But social media is like the ultimate form of word of mouth advertising, essentially. If, if you know, and this is the whole influencer thing, and it's really, really big now on TikTok and Instagram, and uh, you know, it's, it's powerful, powerful stuff. And you're absolutely right. It, 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 propaganda and advertising and all this stuff. You know, Edward Bernays, the guy who founded the the field of public relations back in the 19 teens, uh, in large part on behalf of Woodrow Wilson to get us into World War One. Um, uh, Delane, thanks for the call. He was uh, he was Sigmund Freud's nephew. And he was using psychology to come up with ways to influence the public to say, yes, we should get into World War I on behalf of uh, Woodrow Wilson. It, you know, it's just an amazing history. Uh, in fact, the only media personality I've ever heard talk about that history was Glenn Beck, of all people. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes 
into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Teresa in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Teresa, what's on your mind today? Well, you know, I'm really... uh... You know, I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, the gal that from um, Facebook that testified, you know, she was talking about how, yeah, it is dopamine like cigarettes one after another. But, you know, uh, there there really is such a link to the addictive part of that. And um, my late husband was a, re- was a recovering alcoholic. And, of course, uh, in the 12-step meetings, you know, I, I learned so much about so many things. He went and I went to mine. But the three adjectives that they always give in those meetings about addiction is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Hmm. We talked about the powerful part. Yeah, that's the three adjectives. You hear that all the time in meetings. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what can be done on it, but just for her, she just kind of, she said it quickly about the cigarettes. But I had a feeling years ago when when uh, Facebook started, and I, I'm an avid reader, and I could get into it. But I thought, you know what? I have a feeling this is just not going to be a little thing about families. And, and I'd have people say, you're not on Facebook? Nope. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be. Yeah. And uh yeah, and but the addictive part of it, I really thought she, she couldn't delve into that because there were so many other important uh, things she had to bring out. Right. But I don't know, I don't know how that we could do a better job of realizing the addictive quality of all that stuff because, um, it, boy, it really is. I mean, I've had a couple friends that thought, oh, God, I'm talking about Facebook and showing me tons of pictures, and I think, I don't care. And they used to read. They don't read anymore much, not mm. now books. And at least with a book, you'll go, I can put it down and go do something. And uh, and I think, you know, your mind has to, I think your brain has to look work a little harder yeah. if you read some things that are challenging. Yeah, and, and, and books are not as engaging and, and therefore not as addictive, not as sticking no. to us. That's right. Yeah, That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And I, but I'm glad she mentioned the cigarette thing. But boy, the addictive quality of that just mirrors yeah. all kinds of addictions. You hear it over and over in the 12-step meetings. Yeah. You know, I believe it. I believe it. more on addiction. Teresa, but, I, I've, I've got to move along. But thank okay. you for sharing your story with us. And it's a, it's a powerful one. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. for And thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Al in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hey, Al, what's up? Yeah, Tom, a follow-up on Denise's comments about Baystar. There's a televangelist named, I think his first name is Marcus Lamb. He and his wife are on this program. I think I saw him years ago. They, not, more recently, like in the last month, there's a new channel that's been all, offered on antenna uh, TV. It's not, a, it's not a, a cable. It's an antenna broadcast, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they are really, I think, discounting COVID. Dr. Fauci. Yeah. yeah, and this is a this is a, an evangel a Christian evangelical channel, Al, is it not? And and they're and they're openly uh, basically trash talking vaccines. That's right. And then they advocate use of three medications: the horse medication, right. ivermectin, and uh, the uh, yeah, and then hydroxychloroquine. And then there's a third one, and I can't remember yeah. what it is. Yeah, I, but, uh, I haven't heard of it yet. But, Al, thanks for the information on that. Thanks for the heads up. I do appreciate it. Nancy in Elkhart, Indiana. Hey, Nancy, what's on your mind today? Yes, hi. 
Remember when they had last week the weekend with the Women's March? Yes. And yes, and I, you mentioned that when they didn't have very much news coverage. I had to go to BBC to get good coverage of it. Actually, <laughs> That's which right. is weird. And uh, as you mentioned, now the media has done the same thing as far as a dopamine rush to the brain. Well, I think that the, the when the media does things like this, it's very much, you know, that didn't give a very much of a high when you're watching the news, so it didn't cover it. And I think because, you know, television is mostly now watched yeah. by us older folks, but these young kids, you know, I mean, the media, you know, knows that they better do something. They would do something on a channel that would bring in more money, the news, and that wouldn't. But um, those of us that are watching on the media, our brain uh, doesn't need to be on a high. Where these young kids, this is where I think Facebook, this just like, you know, like you're saying, their brains can get get high and they can get high at a younger level. Yeah. And that's so much more dangerous than the people who are watching the news on television. Yeah. And, and that's where I think it's much more dangerous and things that we need to do about the advertisers on television, well, that's too bad. We don't need to control them. We already do in a certain way. Right. But that's why Facebook, I think, needs to be much more watched and, and controlled than any other Regulated. kind of advertising. Yeah, I get it. I'm with you. Nancy, thank you very much for that. And let me just continue with your phone calls in just a second, but I just want to share a story. I used to know a guy named Leonard Schlein. He was a brain surgeon and an author. He, he wrote a book about art and zen. But the book that he wrote that I thought was most consequential, uh, he's now passed away, ironically, of brain cancer. But the book that he, I thought was most consequential was his book, The Alphabet Versus the Goddess. And what Schlein hypothesized, and there's a great hour-long video of his doing kind of a TED Talk. It's not a TED Talk presentation, but it's like that kind of thing that you can easily find on YouTube. S-C-H-L-A-I-N is how you spell his last name, Leonard Schlein, Dr. Leonard Schlein. But basically what he said was that up until around, well, I forget the year, but it was in the, in the 1500s, the, the, you know, the, whenever Gutenberg's printing press started getting widespread use, up until that point, most Europeans were completely illiterate. In fact, in many parts of Europe, it was illegal to be literate unless you were a member of the royalty or the church. And when the printing press happened, literacy just exploded across Europe. And his argument was that learning to read, learning a, an abstract alphabet when you are growing up and your brain is still developing, is an entirely left brain function, right side function. It's, it's the abstract part of the brain, what's sometimes described as the male brain or the, the, the linear, I, these are terrible metaphors. and and they don't completely work, but you know, this is historically how it's been treated in pop, pop psychology, that, that that part of the brain became exaggerated and the quote female part of the brain or the, the, the right side of the brain, which controls the left side of the body, the part that processes music rather than words, that part got suppressed. And he documents in The Alphabet Versus the Goddess how within a generation of widespread literacy in Europe, they went from having churches all over Europe that were dedicated to Mother Mary, that prior to literacy in Europe, Mary was the principal object of devotion, not Jesus. And that following widespread literacy in Europe in the, in the mid 16th century, following this widespread literacy, the, the men started literally putting women to death, burning witches at the stake. And the Mary de dedicated shrines were torn down and the Mary dedicated churches were rededicated to male saints. And basically the men took over. And this was this massive rise of patriarchy just as the result of people's brains being rewired by the experience of learning how to read as children and, and carrying that into their adult lives. It had actually rewired our brains. Now, if Schlein was right, and his hypothesis is still con considered controversial, although uh, a fellow by the name of Ong, I, Walter Ong, O-N-G, wrote a book called Oralcy and Literacy um, that is absolutely a brilliant, uh, you know, just makes Schlein's case for him. 
only in very academic in a very academic way. It's one of my favorite books. Um, if he is right that the way that, that just learning to read rewired our brains and therefore rewired our culture, it raises the question, what is social media doing to rewire the brains of the generation of people who grew up literally on social media, which would be basically you know, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, uh, you know, and, and, and Gen Z. How different are their brains? How different is our society now as a result of this? And what does this inform us? I mean, you know, what lessons can we take out of this about how we should react to that and adapt to that? Because literacy has, you know, it's changed the face of the world. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercote, Patrick White, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Sprouse, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabberwocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor Arroyo, and Carne Verde. All the folks who work on this program. And thank you to you for uh, participating with our program and spreading the good word and supporting our sponsors and our stations. Get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 